we're going to talk about making our lives count in this area of faith. Mike alluded to it already in the communion meditation about making our faith count, and that's so important as we live out our faith in Jesus Christ. Today's message I want to share with you uh, is uh, something that uh, I've been reading a lot of Kyle Eidelman and some Rick Ashley, some Craig Rochelle, and kind of a hodgepodge of their thoughts are put into this today. So hopefully it all makes sense and it all challenges you and it all helps you to live out your faith in this, uh, in this life in which we live. Several years ago, there was a, uh, there was a meeting that took place uh, that featured a very exclusive club of gentlemen. It consisted of all of the men who had ever walked on the moon. And during this meeting, one of the astronauts was asked, okay, you're on the moon and you're looking off into space. And as you look off into space, you see this big blue marble that is your home. What is going through your mind? And the astronaut replied by saying, I remember thinking that our spacecraft was built by the lowest bidder. Uh, think about that for a moment. If you're going to make a big trip, right? If you, 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 don't you want to think that you can make the trip? Don't you think if you're going out on this, this big trip that you want to make sure that you can get there? I mean, you're not going to take off to, to Florida in a vehicle that you don't think is going to get you out of Bartholomew County, right? You want to make sure that you can get to where you're going. And so when we think about that, it makes us think that about there's so many people that, that, uh, that want to spend eternity in in heaven with God, but yet they're not sure they're going to make it. And I don't know if any of you are that way or not. I don't know if any of you are sitting out there thinking, you know what, I, I hope that when I die and I stand before the Lord, He's going to be pleased and, and He lets me in. Um, I, I hope, hopefully through this message today, we're able to maybe calm some anxiousness you might have about that. Uh, maybe... Um, help you in this area of concern that you might have because it's a question that I deal with a lot. I have, I have a lot of people say, uh, I, just, I just hope I, I make it. In other words, can I count on my salvation? Can I count on where I'm at? I've accepted Christ, I've been baptized, but can I count on what I've done to reach my destination. In other words, am I going to be able to get to that ultimate goal, that ultimate prize that awaits me that Jesus has promised to all those who believe? And the irony is this. Religion has this tendency to promote anxiety instead of removing it. Right? If we're just basing our faith on religion, it can create anxiety that God never intended for us to have in the church that I grew up in, a lot of times when I was a kid, I heard the question asked uh, often, and maybe you have too: If you died tonight, do you know if you'd go to heaven? Or if you died tonight, why should God let you into heaven? Did anybody grow up with that? Did people ask that question? Have you, have you heard preachers talk about that? And and I think the implication of this question is, how can you justify yourself in the presence of God? In other words, when we stand face to face before God, and, and if God were to say, why should I let you in, what are you going to do? And so this anxiety exists because it implies that it depends on something that we've done, right? 
We, we think that we have to do something in order to earn our way there. And so what I want to do today with our time is maybe help relieve some of the anxiety that some of us have. And, uh, and, and I think I can do it in one statement. So are you ready? Ready for the one statement? I don't have it in the notes, so you might want to get your pens out and write it in the blank space, okay? Here you go. You will never do enough to go to heaven. Don't you feel better now? Uh, doesn't that just make you feel wonderful? You're never going to do enough to get to heaven. I'm, glad, I'm, I'm sure you're glad you came to church today. You, you're never going to do enough. So stop trying to do enough. What you need has already been done for you. It's not what you do that counts. It's what Jesus has done for us. And so today, hopefully, in this message, we're going to relieve some burdens and some stress and some anxiety about this. I hope it has a way of taking away some of this anxiousness that some of you might have because I'm going to share with something that you can count on. Your faith counts. When we're talking about making our life count, our faith counts, okay? And one thing that Craig Rochelle said that I think is great, he said, that, that we need to destroy this road that we're on that thinks that our salvation has something to do with what we do, okay? And so I, I want to help destroy that, that road as well. He says this, don't count on being good enough as the basis for your salvation. Because I think there's a lot of people that have this thought in their minds that, okay, if, if I live my life down here and I do enough good things... And when I get to heaven and my good things outweigh my bad things, then God's going to say, okay, Steve, come on in. You, you, you were mostly good. Sometimes you messed up, but you were mostly good. But your good outweighs your bad. Come on in. Don't count on that. Don't count on being good enough as the basis for your salvation. Because here's what every other religion does. Every other religion takes that angle. That's the road that they're on. Every other religion is this. If you can just be good enough, you can make it. It might be the Ten Commandments. It might be the, the five pillars of the Muslim faith. They all take that, that road that if you're just good enough, you can justify yourself if you do enough good things, right? But here's the deal. We, we, we start thinking about this, and in our minds we think, I'll never do enough. You know, we, we might do a lot of good things, but then we're always asking ourselves this question, have I done enough? I remember a few years ago, um, some of you might remember this, I, I, was having some, uh, I was having some chest pains, and so I went to the doctor, and the doctor did an EKG and said he had some concerns, some abnormalities, he said, and so I'm going to send you to the cardiologist. Now, I can't remember if it was Dr. French or Dr. Fry, you remember those guys? <laughs> I love French and fry. That is great, you know. I expected when I walk in there, I fully expected to see Ronald McDonald sitting behind the counter just waiting, you know, to say, hey, do you have insurance, all that kind of stuff. But uh, they sent me to have this test done at the hospital, and they put me on a treadmill. And has anybody ever done a treadmill? All right, so, so I'm on the treadmill, and, and, and here's the deal. I didn't, I didn't want to, even though I was terribly out of shape, I didn't want to look like it, right? And so I wanted I wanted to try to impress the guy that was doing the treadmill, and so I'm just walking along, and, uh, and then I'm jogging along, and I'm talking while I'm walking, and jo- which is not a good thing, right? And so I'm, I'm starting to huff and puff a little bit, and, but, but I'm still keeping a pretty good face, and I think I've got the guy fooled for a little while. But the guy administering the test reaches over, and he turns up the knob a little bit to the treadmill, and... And then he reached over again, turned it up a little bit more, and, and, and then, he, then he does another 
just cruel thing. He puts it on an incline. So not only are you going faster, it starts, it starts going on an, an, an incline. And so I'm still trying to impress the guy, I guess. And so I just keep smiling and talking. And then he reaches over and turns the knob again. And I started talking a little less at this point because I'm starting to really, really feel I'm starting to sweat some. And then he reached over and turned the knob again. And then I remember thinking... It doesn't matter how hard I try, I am never going to beat this machine, right? The competitive side of me is like, he can't, he can't do this to me. I'm, I'm, I'm an athlete. I mean, I didn't look like it at the time, but I thought I was. And so I'm on this treadmill and I'm thinking, okay, you know, I, I, can, I can do this. And then it dawned on me, you're never, you're never going to beat it. No matter how hard I try, he's just going to keep cranking it up and cranking it up. And religion does the same thing, Right? No matter how good you think you're doing, no matter how much you think you've got your act together, religion says, oh no, you need to do just a little bit more. Because I'm not talking to anyone right now, I don't believe, who believes that you've done everything that you should have done. Raise your hand if you think you've done everything that you need to do for the Lord. I don't think there's anybody that feels that way. I heard a preacher one time, he was in his church, and he asked his church, he said, does anyone here think you've lived a perfect life? And one guy stood up, and the preacher said, do you think you've been perfect? He said, no, I'm standing for my wife's first husband. Uh, let that sink in for just a minute. There, there was a guy, his name was, uh, his name was Paul Stewart. He taught law at the University of Nebraska at Omaha. He had a law degree. He was actually married to the dean of the College of Law at the University of Nebraska. But that's not the story. The story is this. He was in jail because 11 years earlier, he left New York State with eight unsettled felonies on his record. Burglary, larceny. He even abandoned the army. And here's the deal. He knew the law, he taught the law, he even married the law, but he couldn't keep the law. And what happens to us when we think we have to be on this good enough road, and we know we haven't been as good as we ought to be, we start to experience guilt. And so what do we do in order to compensate for that guilt? And that leads us to the second thing that, that Craig Rochelle talked about is, is the second big roadblock. We start to judge other people who are on the road as well. We start to judge other people who are living out their faith or trying to live out their faith. And so what we do is we say, well, I'm not as good as I could be, but I know I'm not near as bad as that person is. You ever notice we always compare ourselves to somebody who's not quite as good as we are. You ever notice that? We never compare ourselves to Billy Graham. We're always comparing ourselves to, you know, like Kendall or somebody. And so we, I couldn't help myself, could not. You knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. And so what we do is we look at people and we think, well, I'm not as bad as they are. And so we start becoming a little bit prideful. Or if we do start to compare ourselves to somebody who is better than us, we, we start to become a little judgmental sometimes. We're kind of like the Pharisee who went into the temple and he prayed. Remember this prayer? He said, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like other men. 
And so this is what happens when we try to play this game and it becomes the basis of salvation. You start to deal with guilt because you know you don't do enough and then you deal with pride and arrogance because you start to find out that there's people out there who's doing it better than you do and what you do is, is, is this standard for, that God has set for us is, is, uh, is, is so high but we don't look at that, right? We, we always are looking at someone behind us or someone who's in front of us, but what we don't do is we don't look at the standard that Jesus has set for us. And Jesus told a guy, he said, here's the deal. There's no one good except God himself. In other words, stop comparing yourself to other people. No matter how much you do or how hard you try, you're not going to be as good as you need to be to earn your way to heaven because it can't be done. The Bible says it like this. If you were to compare your righteousness to the righteousness of God, it would be like comparing filthy rags to the perfect, pure light of God. Right? Paul says this to the church at Rome. No one is righteous. Not even one. Do you understand that if you could get to where you wanted to go for eternity in your own strength and in your own power. In other words, if you could be good enough, do you understand that Jesus wouldn't have had to come if you could do that? Jesus didn't need to come if you could be good enough, righteous enough. The law of Moses was a good religion. Gave you lots of rules to help you live. Uh, you know, it's a pretty good way of living. And that's the road that Paul was on. If you think about it, that's the road that Paul was on. Paul was living his life on the law of Moses road. And he thought that everything uh, was, was going great when he was on that road. But then he encounters the pure, perfect, brilliant light of Jesus Christ. And the man that thought he had everything going for him suddenly realized, without Jesus, I got nothing. And he summed it up like this in Philippians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. So Paul's basically saying, I did it all right. I did everything right. And then he follows that by saying, and I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And so here's the guy. Here, here's the guy at the top of the food chain. Here's, here's religion's top guy. He's the number one draft pick. You say it however you want to say it. He says, I no longer count on being good enough as the basis for my salvation. And if Paul could say that and mean that, preach that and teach that, who do we think we are? That's what we need to do, right? In fact, I think Paul would probably say, I, I realize now my perception of my, my goodness was a bigger roadblock to reaching God than, than my awareness of my badness. Think about that for a minute. The perception of my goodness can be a bigger roadblock between me and God than 
than my awareness of my badness. So Paul is saying, if you want confidence, if you want assurance, you need to learn to count in a new way. Here it is, Romans 4. But people are counted as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. And Paul realized, you know, this isn't something new. This is God's plan all along, right? It's not like before Jesus we were on this, you can be good enough, and then Jesus came and now we're on this new road. No, he's, he's basically saying, this is the only road that there's ever been. This was the plan from the get-go. It's always been our faith in God that counts. And so Paul goes on to explain to the Roman church, you need to take into account that God has always saved his people. It's always been faith in God that has saved his people. You see, when you, when you talk to someone during Paul's day about how does God save people, you couldn't open the New Testament and say, all right, this is what you do, because the New Testament didn't exist. They had to go back to the Old Testament, right? And so you'd go to Genesis chapter 15, and you told people the story about a guy named Abraham. And, and uh, if you don't know this story, let me share it with you very quickly. Abraham and Sarah lived in a place called Ur uh, in the region of Mesopotamia. He was about 75. She's about 65. They didn't have any kids at this point in their life. They're not planning to have any kids because most people, 75 and 65, aren't planning to have kids. And, and then God comes to them, and God said, Abraham, I want you to move. I want you to go to a place that I will show you. You don't know anything about it. You don't know where it is. Is, but I want you to leave everything that you know now, everything that's comfortable now, I want you to leave everything that you have and go to a place that you don't know. And then God said, if you do this, he said, I'll make you this, this incredible promise. I'm going to give you and Sarah a son. And from his seed, the rest of the world is going to be blessed. And so Abraham and Sarah believe God and they take off and they get to this new land and they live there for over 10 years and they still don't have a kid. And by this time, it is past the point of even remotely believing that they could have a baby. So one night, Abraham says to God, says, God, I must have misunderstood what you said. You know, uh, I thought you said a son, but maybe you just said an heir of some kind. And I've got a really good servant, and I can just adopt him, and I can make him an heir, and then through him, I can become the father of nations. And God said, said to Abraham, no, that's not the way it's going to work at all. Let's, let's step outside a little bit. Get, come out of that tent. Let, look up at the sky. And you see the sky is just filled with stars. And God says, Abraham, can you count the stars? And then God said, Abraham, I'm telling you, just like these stars, from your own body will come a son, and you will have more descendants then you can count, just like you're looking at these stars. And what came next was a very, very important doctrinal verse, and maybe one of the most important in the Bible. It's in the book of Romans. It's repeated in Galatians. It's in James. And we need to completely understand this. For the Scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. And later on, you know, he gets circumcised and some determine, well, you have to get circumcised in order to reach God. And Paul said, no, Abraham was counted as righteous long before he ever did that. It wasn't what he did, it was because he believed in God. And he didn't just believe in God, he believed God, he believed the promises of God, right? When God told, you think about that, when God told that old man, you're going to be a dad. And a boy is going to come from your body and from Sarah's body. He believed that. Put yourself 
in those shoes for just a moment. The word in the Hebrew for believe is where we get our English word amen. You know, if I'm preaching and you agree with something and you just think it's a wonderful, powerful statement and it's just like, man, that's of God and you all say and y'all don't do that very often, but that's good. That's good. Yeah. What you're saying is this. Hey, whatever the preacher just said, I agree with it. I say the same thing. So when God said, Abraham, from your body is going to come a son, Abraham said, I agree with that. So be it. Amen. When all human reasoning said, absolutely no way. Abraham said, yes, there is a way. I believe that God can do it. And there was no tangible evidence that this could happen. All he had was this promise from God. Abraham knew that his and Sarah's bodies were reproductively dead. But they completely trusted that God would somehow make it happen. And Paul continues, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations, for God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. Now understand, Paul's not saying that Abraham was saved because of his faith. That would be good enough, right? I've done this, so therefore he's going to save me. That's not what he's saying. He was saying that he's saved by his faith, because of his faith in God. Again, remember last week we talked about that word accounting? We count on this. In accounting, you track your finances and you have a ledger and you basically have two columns and you have a credit column where you're going to put your assets and, and you're going to put all of your gains, you're going to put all that over here and then you have a debit column where you're going to keep track of your losses and all of your debts. And so Paul says this, when you believe in Jesus Christ, when you believe that He is the Son of God, when you're baptized in Him, when you repent of your sins, here's what's going to happen, Right? God is going to take all of your debt and, and he's going to wipe it clean. So, so, so all of this stuff that you have, actually I had the debt column over here, didn't I? Okay, you, all the debt column over, I can't remember what I had where, but let's just say debt column's over here, right? And so God is going to wipe that out. He's going to erase all of that, when we say amen to God, he's going to take the righteousness of Jesus and he's going to put it in the credit side of our column. And then all of that junk that's on the debit side is going to be erased by his blood and you are going to be righteous in God's eyes. And you don't have to play this game where I have to do enough good things. We should still do good things. James talks about that. We do those good things because we love Jesus, not because we're trying to earn our way to heaven. So don't count on being good enough as the basis of your salvation because you're never going to get there 
You count on Christ's goodness, and that's the third thing, being credited to your account when you surrender your life to Him. The good news is, is, is not that we can be saved. Every religion teaches that you can be saved. Everybody's got their own angle on that. And they'll even give you a, a, a manual, a road map, so to speak, on how to get there. That's not good news. The good news is this. We can be saved by trusting in what God has already done. He's already done it. And He can keep His promises. Don't you think that if he can give a hundred-year-old man and his wife in her 90s a baby, <laughs> he can forgive you of your sins? And, and instead of hoping that we just can do enough to earn our way, we're going to be okay, you know, instead of hoping that, just trusting that, 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 that we don't reach God by being good, God reaches us through the goodness of Jesus. That's the good news for us. Look at it one more time, a different translation. Hang on with me for a few minutes because I want, I want you to track with me. And Oh, we got plenty of time. All right, very good. <clears throat> I think this can help a lot of people. From the New International Version, I've been preaching a lot from the NLT, but I like what the NIV says here, and I think it helps us understand. Romans 4, 22 through 24. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. This is something that I wished I had learned over 40 years ago when I was growing up in a very legalistic and rigid church that taught you, you have to do everything right. And you should strive for that. But the idea of the church that I grew up in was, was more like, alright, you do everything right, but if you mess up, and if you don't have an opportunity to get back to church and go forward and have people pray over you the next Sunday, if something happens to you between the time you mess up and the time you get back to church, well, I'm sorry. Right? It, salvation is more than just forgiveness. And I, and I want you to understand this because it can be life-changing for you. Salvation, part of it is forgiveness. It's when, you put, it's when you put your faith in Jesus, all that junk on the debit side of your ledger, it gets erased once and for all because Jesus on the cross, he said, it's finished, it's paid in full, I've paid the debt for you, and he rebuked every notion that your salvation is on some type of installment plan. If you'll just keep doing, and you'll keep doing, and you'll keep doing, everything's going to be okay. You know, you erase a little more debt, a little more debt, a little more debt. Maybe finally someday when you die, all your debt's going to be gone. Jesus, when he's hanging on the cross, he said, it is finished. It's paid in full. You are forgiven. Your debt side is cleansed by the blood of Jesus. But even more than that, we're also given Jesus' perfect record. Think about that for a moment. When we believe, we are credited with righteousness. 
In other words, not only did Jesus die the death that we should have, he lived the life that we should have. And when we believe God and what his son has done in Jesus, or what God has done in his son Jesus, God looks at us and it's as if we've lived the life that Jesus lived. Stop and think about that for a moment. I think that's a game changer for the way a lot of us have been living our lives. When God looks at us, He sees the goodness of His Son. He doesn't see that mistake that you made. Because when He looks at us, He doesn't really see us. He sees His Son. We are clothed in His righteousness. They say that years ago, Abraham Lincoln, he was out in the country, he's walking into town and a wagon comes along and he stopped the wagon and he asked the driver, he said, hey, would you do me a huge favor? Would you be good enough to take my overcoat into town for me? And the wagon driver said, I'd be happy to take your coat into town for you, but how are you going to get back to get it? And he said, that's easy, I'm going to be inside my coat. Right? And I have confidence that I'm going to go to the place that I want to go Because I am clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. I have confidence that I'm going to get to go to heaven. Not because of anything that I've done. But because Jesus' righteousness is all over me. And this is so important because I'm telling you, when I was younger, I used to think, okay, I've been forgiven of my sins, but I just haven't done enough. Haven't read my Bible as much as I should have. Haven't loved people like I should have. Haven't been to church as much as I should have. I haven't given as much money as I should have. Haven't shared my faith like I should have. I haven't served every chance that I had. And I used to, I used to have this mindset, yeah, I know I'm forgiven, but I haven't done enough. Has anybody else ever done that? And I wish a long time ago I would have understood that my salvation is just Jesus taking my junk and erasing it with his blood. And then I am credited with the righteousness of Jesus. And that's all possible. Because of God and the promise he made to us. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what God did. This is is what God said. He said, I promise I promise that Jesus died the death that you should have died and you will be forgiven. I promise that Jesus has lived the life that you should have lived, but you're going to receive credit for it. I promise that this road is not a road that was built by the lowest bidder. It was built by the Son of God who gave everything. And hear me on this, because the enemy knows this truth as well. And you've probably been here before. I'm going to guess you have. The enemy places in your mind that thing that you regret having done. 
or those things that you wish that if you could go back and do it all over again, you wouldn't have done it the same way. Those sins that you've committed in your life. The enemy knows that God has forgiven you, but he's not going to let you forget it. And so he places in your mind all of these things that you know you could have done, but you didn't. And when he does this, he's attacking your confidence. He wants us to doubt God. He wants to attack our confidence. And he's trying to make you think, listen, you might not be able to count on what God said about his word concerning salvation. When you get there, you might not be good enough. And why does he do this? Because he knows he can't steal your salvation. So what he's going to get you to do is he's going to try to get you to think that, that, that somehow God doesn't love you like you thought he did and that, that, that you've got all of these horrible things still on your debit side. And even if he can't steal your salvation, here's what he wants to do. He wants to steal your joy. I believe one of the greatest enemies to us living a life for Jesus is discouragement. And so Satan, what he wants to do is he wants to discourage you. He wants to take away your joy. And so I encourage you to take God's faithfulness into account. The God who, whose strength overcomes your weaknesses. The God who brings life out of death. The God who gives a baby to an almost 100-year-old man and his 90-year-old wife. Trust in Him. I want to close with a verse that I think should get you excited as our worship team comes. Jude 24, Now, all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into His glorious presence without a single fault. There's a story told of a businessman before the days of cell phones. He's traveling through the Midwest. He wasn't really sure where he was, so he waves at a farmer who's on a tractor, and he says, hey, friend, if I stay on this road, will I get to St. Louis? The farmer said, I don't know. He said, well, if I stay on this road, will I, will I be able to get to Indianapolis? And the farmer said, I don't know. Well, the big city, uh, you know, what, what big city will I come to if, if I stay on this road? And the farmer said, I don't know. And the businessman, he was a little bit perturbed. He said, you don't know much, do you? And the farmer said, I know I ain't lost. <laughs> and if someone <laughs> would ask me, if you were to die tonight, why should God let you into his heaven? Well, I would say, I'm not going to try to justify myself. I'm resting in the promises of Jesus. All my hope is in Jesus. And maybe some of you have not placed your hope there. We want to give you the chance to do that today. We believe that the Bible teaches that you, you believe in what God has done for you through His Son Jesus. You repent of your sins. You're baptized into Him for the washing away of your sins. Acts 22.16 tells us. And then you live as good a life as possible honoring Him. Not to earn your way, but to bring glory to Him so that others might believe. Maybe some of you need to do that. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Maybe some of you just needed to hear this today. You've been playing that game. You've already made that decision to follow Christ, but you've been playing that, well, I'm just not good enough game. 
Would you just rest in the promises of God this morning? Trust in what He's done for you through His Son on the cross. Let's pray together.